Hey y'all, this is Eric Morris from Non-Typical Outdoorsman TV. Hey, I got an outdoor show. This season was great, had thousands and thousands of people watching the show, but tune in for next season, season two that I'm currently working on to see hunts, fishing trips, horses, dogs, old people, young people, kids, everybody. Hit me up on Facebook, Non-Typical Outdoorsman TV, and catch a few of last season's episodes. I look forward to hearing from y'all. The Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. Also, guys, I just want to say a happy new year to everybody. All of my sponsors, especially, that'd be Yukonuba Sporting Dog. Um, I already shouted out Onyx Hunt, um, you know, Dakota 283 Kennels, Lion Country Supply, and of course, to my Project Upland family, um, Garmin Fish and Hunt. You know, it's been a great year, guys. I just want to say thank you um, for supporting me throughout 2019. We're going into a new decade and I'm looking forward to building and developing more relationships in the bird dog community. Um, with that being said, guys, I also need to extend a super happy, happy, happy birthday to Mr. Honeymoon in Vegas. Today, January 1st, 2020 is his one year birthday. So, um, you know, yesterday we got him on Woodcock. He finally pointed his, and looked like a pro too. He finally pointed his first set of Woodcock. Um, we had the Dye Lane Plantation hunt and we didn't find any quail, but it was excellent. Um, also, I just got his uh, five generation field dog stud book pedigree in. So that came right on time. Um, also, one more thing, I hate to say this, but I need to issue an apology to the folks that have purchased the uh, kind of pop-up shop type deal thing with uh, the Gundog Notebook apparel. I just got notification that the stuff was uh, back-ordered recently, but if um, you guys have any question about it, y'all should be getting it this week. Um, I know I got a confirmation code about getting it this week as well. Mine is on back-order as well. So um, my apologies, that's not how I like to operate the distribution company. It's just, you know, I guess it's holiday season or something. I don't know. But um, speaking of New Year's, guys, one last thing. I just put my dogs up um, and they stay outside, but put them up during the fireworks. Um, gun broke or not, I just something about something about my gut told me to put my dogs up. So just think about that. You know, why not? eliminate a problem before it starts guys so happy new year i hope y'all enjoy this podcast it's a lot of good things going forward in 2020 all right guys i am on the way to the last hunt of the year 
I'm fortunate enough to uh, end my hunt of, of, of 2019, of the 2019 decade and all of that, just, you know, make my last hunt of the decade at Guy Lane Plantation, the historic Guy Lane Plantation. Um, this is that quota hunt that I've been talking about for, you know, God knows how long at this point in time. And, uh, of course, a few minutes ago, I heard a beeping, and I was listening to the Hounds for XP podcast, kind of chilling. Um, you know, I'm about an hour and 13 minutes out from Dylan. And, uh, of course, I hear a beeping, you know, down below in the passenger seat out of my book bag. And, of course, and it sounded like my GoPro. What was it? It was my GoPro. My GoPro was officially dead. Apparently, the way that my bag was sitting, leaning up against the door, what were the odds that the uh, the, the the power button had basically turned on the GoPro, I guess the way it was sitting in my bag, and been running for the last hour and a half, two hours, something like that. So, it would not be... <laughs> It would not be a momentous hunt if something did not get kind of funky. Uh, so I'm probably not going to be doing as much videoing as I will, you know, just getting some photos, which is fine. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, that's, that is already the interesting part of the day. Um, I, I should be there after a while and I'll put Vegas on the ground first and just get some, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get in some bird contacts and make sure we get some rope dog work uh, on wild birds. And then as long as that goes well, I will put Ruger in the game uh, for the second half of the day and actually start shooting some birds. So we're going to go blank pistol first and uh, shotgun second. And, uh, you know, we'll, we're going to see. So, I'm not one to say wish me luck because I, I, I think if the dogs do a good enough job and the birds are willing, then we'll have a good day. But we wish wish me a good day. How about that? All right. Talk to you soon. So that was the, I guess, the, the little recording on my phone. I did a little old school gun dog notebook on you guys and, and recorded something a little quick on my uh, iPhone on the way to Die Lane Plantation. We had a quota hunt today, um, and it went very, very, very well. I kind of want to tell you guys about it. There's a lot of stuff going on in this particular episode, but I want to start with the quota hunt today um, at Die Lane Plantation. So this particular hunt I've been applying to for since I started with bird dogs, really. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to have finally gotten a chance to... Um, you know, actually, you know, hunt this property. It was a beautiful place, but I want to definitely highlight something um, as far as dialing, just some history. Y'all know, y'all know me, man. I'm definitely going to try to get the history aspect in it, but I'm really just reading off the sign that was there for many of you guys that may not be familiar with it um, here in Georgia. Um so Dial Lane Plantation was owned by Miss a guy named Mr. Henry Barrel. So just to, um and Barrel is B E R O L. 
But what it says is Mr. Henry Barrow, an heir to the Eagle Pencil Company in New York, purchased 8,100 acres in Burke County, Georgia in the early 1950s. The property was known as the Davis Kilpatrick Plantations. His plans were to develop the property for running first-class field trials with registered dogs in competition. Six courses were laid out with quote-unquote bird gardens, Planted to develop an environment for quail population, Mr. Barrow named the property Die Lane Plantation in honor of his daughters, Diane and Elaine. Uh, field trials were held annually through 1978. Mr. Barrow died in February 1976. The property was sold and field trials were run on privately owned property. The trials returned to Die Lane in 1988. For the first amateur trial, the professional stakes followed in January. In 1992, Dylan was purchased by the federal government and leased to the state of Georgia to be managed by the Department of Natural Resources. Mr. Barrow had a real compassion for his animals, burying them in a private cemetery with a cast iron fence entrance. Uh, Each headstone depicts an epitaph with his feelings of his pets. More on that in a second. Uh, 131 headstones can be seen included are 122 bird dogs, four horses, one pet cat, and two pet cocker spaniels and two mules. Why the cocker spaniels are, I guess they, they weren't bird dogs, the cockers. I guess he wasn't using them for dogs, whatever. I don't know. Um, the horses include Gemma's first field trial horse. Henry's first field trial horse and mother of their finest colts. Um, among the graves are three pointers, which won the Georgia Derby Championship for three consecutive years. They are Barrel's Showstopper, Barrel's White Knight, and Barrel's Georgia Rebel. Mr. Barrel wishes Mr. Barrel wishes were to be buried along with his favorite pets. He was buried in uh, February 17 or 1976. Uh, shortly afterwards, his family chose to remove his remains and they were moved to New York for re-inter- reinterment. Um, so first and foremost, guys, that that is it speaks volumes to the relationship that we have with our animals, um, despite you know, any, any, any hard times we may deal with them training and things like that field trial dogs or just bird dogs in general, not even just field trial dogs, but we all have this really, really close relationship with our, um, animals that we are spending so much time in the woods and in the field with. Um, and I think Mr. Barrow's story was indicative of that. What it was also indicative of is the, you know, the, the fact that, a lot of folks from New York, especially, came down here and purchased up a bunch of plantation land. Like that's that was a thing. Um, Robert Whaley, one of my favorite bird dog people, was another northerner that came down here and made significant strides um, to the bird dog world and and to the the southern landscape. Really. Um, <clears throat> A lot of what I'm reading about bird dogs comes from Europe to the north, meaning New York and and, and areas like that. 
and then down here to the south. What I know about the south is, though, that a lot of the dogs were made down here. And by made, I mean we were developing dogs to a very, very, very high level. Um, and the money that came into New York was one or that that came from New York was one of those things that kind of helped uh, bring those dogs and, and, and bring them to the top. Um, that and the oil money out west. So you had a lot, a lot, a lot of different things. Um, horseback trials is definitely a tradition down here. And I see a lot of that in Mr. Barrel's story. So it was important to me not only to um, hunt this property, but to go see the bird dog cemetery. Um, you know, I, I saw some headstones and epitaphs that were very interesting to me. And I'll read a few of them. I posted them on my social media. But one was double field trial uh, champion contenders, Spunky Delight. Um, and on his epitaph, it he was noted as one of the great grouse dogs in the world, a great bird dog and pal. Um, then you had Beryl's Bessie Iola. And <laughs> she had, a, had her epitaph was a wonderful bitch with a sad ending. Um, I don't know if... He was trying to play a double entendre thing going on there, but it was actually kind of interesting to me. He also had field trial champion Sirachos, Texas boy, the best bird finder and friend. He had High Island Tipsy, a real bird dog to the very end, um, and Beryl Silver Jet, who was noted as my favorite gun dog. So a lot of that stuff was just very, very cool. There were so many more, but those were the ones that I had taken photographs of. And again, you can see them on my social media profile um, on Instagram and on Facebook. So with that being said, I just kind of want to recap the hunt. Um, it was phenomenal. Number one, um, I did not see any quail, though. I heard them. <laughs> I heard them the moment that I got there. Matter of fact, um, I want to thank Robbie Payne, who also gave me a good little bit of direction as to, you know, kind of where to put my feet down on the ground, um, just kind of gave me a ballpark area. Um, so Robbie, thank you so much. Um, he's hunted the property. He's very, very familiar with it. Um, also, when we got there, I was I, 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 one thing I hate that that uh, it drives me up the wall about quail is I can hear them whistling and, you know, a quail, a Bob White whistle when you hear it. But then when you get there, they act like they don't want to, you know, come out. And for a good reason, obviously, like the birds, they want to live. But what I did the first first half of the day, so I got there, I started hunting about 10. So from about 10 to 1230, um, I did not take my shotgun out. I just. uh I just took my blank pistol and I let I put Vegas on the ground with the hopes and intentions that I would be able to work on some wild bird steadiness. Um, and, and, and by that, I mean steadiness through the shot. So fire the blank pistol, get him there. I, I, I try not to go into hunts these days um, with the intent on killing. It's just that's just not where I'm at. I'm really trying to get my dog ready for um, the Rocky Creek field trial club uh, trials. And that is coming up 
on uh, February 8th. So uh, Rocky Creek Field Trial Club, um, Mr. Daniel Howell invited me. Um, I'm trying to get Vegas ready for that. And I, I want him to be at his best, 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 best. Um, he looks good, but just my personal standard. So with that, I, I initially was going to go in try to flush birds on my own, uh, went in with a flush and whip and things like that. Well, Vegas, we got to this one particular part of the property and Vegas goes. And next thing you know, he locked up, he's pointing. And I'm like, what in the world? This is interesting. Okay. So he gets there and it doesn't look like an area that, I mean, it looked like it would have quail, but just the, the, the particular part of the, brush that he was pointing it, it was like an edge it was it, it so i was like okay maybe it's a single kind of floating around in there so i get in there and i'm flushing 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 nothing happens nothing happens so i'm like all right by this point in time i think maybe it's just old scent like maybe that's just what this is and you know vegas is just being overly cautious all right no big deal so i tap him on the head relocate him we move on and a woodcock flushes away from me. I say, huh, all right. Vegas pointed a woodcock. I mean, it was a nice point, too. We go, a few minutes later, he points again. And those two photos, the, the photos that I posted on my social media were the, the, the first uh, couple of points that I was able to photograph from him because I didn't have a gun in my hand. And mind you, we were just in North Carolina on the public grouse um, shoot and Vegas overran every woodcock that we came into contact with. I mean, just had nothing to do, but then he gets out here and it's just locked up. I don't know what it is, but you know, one thing it is about these dogs, it's just got to click. Um, later on in, in, in this, that this episode, I'm going to put in the um, the live stream from Instagram and Facebook, and it ta- and and we get into this. And Tommy Rice um, was on the live stream, kind of you know typing and stuff like that, and he made a good point about it. But a lot of this stuff, guys, when your dog is not pointing birds or or something like that, a lot of it is just exposure. That's literally all it is. I could I I did not have in my mind to that I would be shooting Woodcock uh yesterday. I guess it's yesterday now. I'm recording this at 12:33 a.m. But I I guess I would not have imagined that me just putting my dog on the ground and I I had no idea there were even Woodcock in the area. And he ended up establishing some very nice points. I mean beautiful dramatic points too. You know, I always talk about style and things like that. Um, and that that's one thing that I like about pointers, you know, that exaggerated style and, and, and just the focus and, and things like that. But that came with the availability of birds. So we got into so many woodcock yesterday Um there had to be five or six in there that I that and, and there may have been more, but the migration is starting to move down here south. And 
you know, we got there now Vegas established points and I, and I, and I honestly admittedly had to let down my guard a little bit. And because I, after we, I noted that we had Woodcock in that area, I made a decision at 1230 to say, okay, do I want to keep hunting the rest of the plant, the, the, the area, the WMA, or do I want to walk back to the truck, go get Ruger, drive up to that particular spot again and hunt both dogs with the shotgun? Obviously, I chose that. Um, something about my gut told me. And that's what you got to do, guys. Like, just trust your gut when it comes to to working dogs. But something about my gut told me that I would get a lot better work with what's on the table. I didn't like guessing. So I wanted to go with what I knew and I said, and I figured, all right, well, maybe I can get those to Woodcock. Maybe we can make contact since Woodcock don't fly away that much. So the time it took me to get from that spot back to the truck was about 30 minutes and then driving there. So it was probably one o'clock, maybe one ten by the time I started back hunting in that same area, put both dogs on the ground, have Ruger at heel Vegas goes back in, boom, locks up again. Now, the first two points, I won't lie, the first two points of the second round were points where the bird had, there were there were scent or unproductive, if you want to call it. Um, but that's cool. That's fine. He, he, he did his thing. We just relocated him, um, and he went further in. We hunted, and it wasn't that long before Vegas locked up on a point again. Gun was loaded. Bird gets up. I knock it down. I let him break on the shot. Um, and I know I've been working on steadiness through the shot and stuff like that. But in a hunting situation when I've only gotten Vegas green broke, you know, during yard training and stuff like that, that wasn't the time. I had to make a decision. And that wasn't the time to try to operate an e-collar, shoot, do this, do that. It just wasn't a time for that. Vegas had done his job and done it very, very well. And I took that as a win. We'll go back to the drawing board. Um, and I'll have somebody shoot for me. You know, I'll get some birds and, and have them point and, and have somebody shoot for me and work on Vegas being steady. Ruger went in and retrieved the woodcock. No problem. I've heard comments that some dogs don't like retrieving woodcock. Ruger picked him up just fine. Um, I honestly had more of a problem keeping Ruger at heel because he wanted to go. He wanted to get out there with Vegas. Um, but I mean, he was all right. I just had to remind him like, dude, that's not your job no more. Um, used to be a job, but not anymore. So after I had shot that woodcock, that first one, I guess I had turned my head away to, or obviously to go get the bird from Ruger. And next thing I know, I look up. Vegas was on point again, like a few seconds later. And I thought I had told Vegas to stop running just because I, I wanted to kind of regain control of the situation. I didn't need to say that, though, because Vegas was already on point before I even had a chance to say it. And I was thinking, like, this is kind of weird. Well, next thing you know, we get in there and... I send Ruger back, you know, guns loaded again. I send Ruger in for a second just to, just to trust the dog's nose and stuff like that. Woodcock gets up again. So that's two back-to-back -back flushes. You know, 
points and flushes that we get. I shoot and I thought that I missed the bird, honestly. I thought that I did. And so we circle around, circle around it because I always double check to be sure that I didn't miss it. Well, the bird had somehow flew in a basically a big circle around this this um, wooded area and popped back out to my left and kind of flew low. So it was clearly wounded. I guess I nicked it the first time I shot again. It goes down. Didn't butcher the bird. Didn't do anything. Um, but it goes down. Ruger goes in for the retrieve. And it's just so interesting to me how that whole scenario worked. But what I was most proud of is the fact that, number one, I had absolute teamwork from both dogs. Um, but number two, it just clicked for Vegas. And he just kept pointing more and more woodcock and things like that. I could have limited it out today. Um, the, the limit here is three. Um I, I messed around and couldn't load my gun fast enough for the third bird, and it flushed wild. Um, I, I just think nature should, you know, nature was going to take that one. Um, that's just kind of how that was going to work. But anywho, that was the hunt at Die Lane. Um, we, like I said, we didn't get in any coveys, and that wasn't the first time that I heard that. Um, a gentleman named Jeffrey, Jeffrey Props, who I've been talking to, um, via email, I don't know if Jeffrey listens to my listens to my podcast, but if so, what's up, Jeffrey? Um, we had been talking, and he didn't really have a whole lot of luck there either. And if I'm not mistaken, Robbie, I think he hunted there, and I, I can't remember what his success was like if he saw a, 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 a few birds or not. But when I got there, as an old timer, he was kind of cool. But when I got there, he was like, man, you know. I ain't seen no birds around here either. He's like, I saw two or three cubbies over there, but nothing, nothing major, you know, and they kind of acting funny. You know, they're kind of scarce around here, which is interesting because Die Lane is managed for quail, specifically quail and and rabbit hunting, matter of fact. And so you can bring beagles and stuff like that. Um, But I think that's just how the dice roll, man. Like sometimes nature is just gone going to deal you one. I'm proud of the dog regardless um, of, you know, the fact that we didn't get on quail because we had such good contact on Woodcock. I mean, it was immediate. He didn't crowd the bird. He, he didn't creep. He didn't do any of that. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, so I guess, you know, with all that being said, um, after we left, we went to the bird dog cemetery and, and checked out that if you guys ever come to Georgia and, and even just get a chance to, um, meet, not meet Jesus Christ. I don't know what I'm talking about. If you guys get a chance to visit die lane, um, you, you know, you have to have permission to actually hunt the place, but you don't have to have permission. Just talk to the you know manager there. Um, about going and seeing the, 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 the cemetery and just seeing that little piece of history. Um, I'm always encouraging people to do and just walk the property. I mean, it's really, really nice. Um, and there are birds there, but you no, know, like wild birds, but you just got to find them. So of course I logged that in 
to my Onyx Hunt app. <laughs> of course I did. Um, th those those Woodcock areas, and it was great. Um, I, you know, I noticed, and I guess I, I should have said this before, but Onyx has... Um, Onyx has a weather feature that they've integrated into their app. It, it's pretty dope. I don't have to open up my Weather Channel app no more. I really don't. It was really, really cool. So, um, also, I really liked the fact that I can photograph those areas. So, when I go back to Dye Lane, um, all I got to do is, is basically check out my Onyx uh, Waypoint and head back to the spot that I want to. Hopefully, I get drawn again next year. So with that being said, guys, here's the second part of the podcast, the live stream. Again, I hope y'all enjoy it. And uh, from what I hear, it was pretty informative. So I recorded this day before yesterday. Boom. All right. We're two minutes early, but I want to uh, definitely just say thank you to everybody that's tuned into the, the podcast and, you know, supporting me up until this point, y'all, it's legit about to be a whole like new decade, man. So this is what I'm calling the, the TGDN, uh, EOTD episode. There's a lot of letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of letters. So, Ernest Feds, what's up, Chief? Um, we are going to decline that. All right, sorry. Plody says, I'm too dumb for all that wizardry nonsense you'd be doing with live streams. Um, <laughs> that is way too many letters also. All right. Um, Plody, if you want to hop on, I would be, I would love to get Plody on a live, uh, a live episode, but I'm not sure how well it's going to play. So if you want to hop on, let me know, but, um, I'll come up with a better name that ain't got so many letters in it. I promise you I will, but right now that's all I can think of. Plody Ashley says, Hello. Those of y'all that that know me and know how much I talk about people that I I, I thoroughly enjoy, um, y'all would know that Mister Joe Plody, J Plody underscore PSR Kennels is on here, and uh, I probably there's like a few people on this whole thing that I I bug more about bird dogs. Uh, all right, Plody, I, I guess I'll let y'all. But um, there, Plody is one of those few people that I bug on here about bird dog questions. And he's one that I just enjoy sharing silly memes with and God knows whatever else. But we have a lot of laughs and he's helped me a ton. Um, he is the reason why. Um, thank you for loving my podcast. Uh, was that blew the hunting wine? I appreciate it. So. Plody is the reason why I even got into the Lindley method. And I want to kind of go over 
just a few things. Just a couple of things. So I will I want to reveal my secrets. Wanna reveal all my secrets. Um hang on one second. comes to books for bird dog training <laughs> and I bugged the heck out of Blair no you don't bug me you don't bug me but when it comes to all of that stuff I feel like I should be like revealing all the stuff that I learned because my dog actually learned at a very rapid pace I would say um, and with the whole mentorship thing I guess I could show people what it is that got Vegas um, to look as good as he has up until this point. So Neil Carter, Neil Carter ain't got no books. Um, you kind of just got to meet him. He's down in Thomasville, but I will start with Bud Moore. Boom. Minute with Molly, the first six months, parts one and two. Barrel boot camp from start to finish parts one and two. And Windows of Opportunity. Boom. Those are all Bud Moore books. Y'all should, and, uh, or Bud Moore DVDs. Y'all should go get them. That's a lot of good stuff in those. Then, thanks to Mr. Joe Plody. Hold on. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Um, Ashley talks about I bug her. What I am currently bugging her right, her right for right now is this good old new dog that I'm trying to get. It is a uh, the on on the sire side. It is a uh, Fun Seekers Rebel bred dog, and then uh, on the dam side, it's a Miller bred dog. It's coming from Cedric Smith, and I am hoping, and maybe I can bug my wife a little bit more about it by June um, to let me get it. So I need all of my podcast listeners to like show support or something like that, or do the little like thing or whatever people do on these podcasts, on the, on the little Instagram things, um, to let me get this little pup. Seriously, I don't get on here too often and talk about begging my wife for a dog, but I definitely want to do that because why not? And it's a female, okay? And it's coming from a buddy of mine down in Thomasville. So, Blair, I'm going to tell you something. You, 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 you and your fiancé, the best thing that you can do is two things. Have a child and get another dog. All right. Those are two things. Where can you purchase the DVDs? Bud Moore is on Facebook. Just reach out to him um, and get it. If not, I will uh, just DM me and I will uh, put you in direct contact with him. So it's not a problem. But um, Bud is the reason why my dog ended up looking so good on the barrel. All right. And there's a whole, whole spiel on it. He's helped me write. Um you know, all kinds of stuff, articles and blah, 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 blah. Um, so, yeah, but back to Plody. This right here, I met this man, Mo Lindley, Maurice Lindley. That's another little little trade secret that I think folks should get. Now, also, I want to go into a lot of a lot of a lot of controversy with having a whole bunch of training styles and stuff like that. Guys, let's just be real. OK. There are 50 million different good trainers out here. Um, there are 50 million different good trainers out here 
and there are about a handful of great trainers out here. Um, and by that, I, I, I just simply mean I like to listen to the OGs. I like listening to the guys that have been here, done it. Um, most of the time, they either train dogs for what I'm aspiring to compete in. Like Bud, he is honestly whooping tail in the field trial world right now and been doing it for a long time. Um, listen to my podcast. He's a great dude. Um, Mo Lindley. Mo looked out for me, number one. But number two, a lot of Mo's. Oh, <laughs> Iron Face, you just on the thing. But a lot of Mo's uh, techniques have definitely been good when other things didn't work for Vegas. So you got to know your dog. I just know my dog and I know a lot of bunch of different techniques that help when other things don't. And so I read a lot of stuff to basically make sure I go out there to the field like Batman with a utility belt. Like I just like having little things. All right. Um, I don't necessarily just always get one thing. Like there's 50 million different solutions. If you're a doctor, there's not always just one prescription for a particular thing. Not all the time. Um, and Blair, I will get into that. That is on my list of things to get. Y'all know I'm long winded, man. So y'all gotta, you know, Work with me, y'all. I'm 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 too silly and too crazy to not be long winded. So Mo's program, Mo is considered a very very soft handed trainer, and there's a lot of the times when that is necessary for a bird dog. There's times when you got to put a little bit more pressure on them, and there's other times when you don't. You just need to read your dog. Um. So my other trade secret. I'm, I'm going to wait so I can do that. Boom. Wing and shot. All right. This is another one that if you are a nutcase about pointers like I am, um, especially Robert Whaley, and you have a dog that is bred from a, a, a Whaley dog, LHU dog, um, that would be something that I would say is just kind of another thing to have in the back pocket. I mean, why not read training information from the guy who bred your dog? You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like having a gold mine and a map at the same time. Like you got a good dog. You've got the, it. like if I got a Miller bred dog and Farrell Miller wrote a book on it, I would go buy the book because that's what, you know, that's kind of, it just makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so in that wing and shot book, a lot of it is honestly very similar to the Delmar book. And I'll get to that too, but it's just good to have when I look for certain traits in my LHU dog, um, LHU background dog, like it just kind of makes sense to me. Um, there's a lot of history. I also love the drawings and the photos and things like that. Um, and these guys were around real, real, real early. Now, also, my last two, I will show them together. Um, ugh, these two. Numero one. Numero dos. All right. That is best way to train your gun dog, Delmar Smith method and training bird dogs, Ronnie Smith kennels. Benefit of having those two together. Delmar's method is 
you know, like paralleled to me with Bud Moore's barrel training. So I, I use those interchangeably to make sure that my dog has the foundation that I want him to have. Um, a, a, a lot of it is what I like about it is the fact that Del Mar, it, like Bill Tarrant wrote that book in Del Mar's words. So it was almost like you're sitting at the table with him and he's kind of telling you stuff, um, you know, and that's always been really helpful when there's certain things about a bird dog that can't be broken down into just straight up plain English. Um, a lot of times when I talk to, to Neil down in Thomasville, it, there's just a, a way that these guys talk that just it just makes sense. Plody, I'm sure you probably know what I'm talking about, too. Um when you listen to the episode that I had with Jonesy, there's a certain way that these guys just talk and it just, it just makes sense when you see it with the dog. Um, I like that the Delmar book was written like that. Um, the training bird dogs with Ronnie Smith kennel. So Ronnie is Delmar's um, nephew and it's a follow-up, but it's more philosophical. It gets more into the brainier aspects. Uh, yeah, Jonesy does say that. I love you. He says it a lot, and that's that's cool. Um, I like to hear folks say I love you. That's a that's a, a good thing. I don't say it a whole lot in my own in my own life because I don't know. Maybe I'm just a jerk like that. But it is good to hear that that is a message being spread. So I do appreciate when Jonesy says, it. and you can tell it's coming from a good place, but back to what I was saying with training bird dogs, with Ronnie Smith kennels, it, it basically goes further into what Del Mar is talking about in his book, but gets into the more philosophical aspects of uh, training a bird dog, it's a little bit more updated. So you guys also got to consider the fact that um, there are a ton of people that have made the transition. And it's probably majority of culture today that have made the transition to having a dog live outside and, and outdoor dogs, kennel dogs to inside dogs. I did the opposite. My dog Ruger used to live in a house. And, you know, when my daughter was born, we just decided to move him outside. And then Vegas never really had a shot. He was outside anyway. Um, and that works for me. But that is not what most people do. Most people don't have multiple, multiple dogs. Nowadays, most people live in the city. Um you know, just little things like that, I guess. Um, just just a whole bunch of little things. So Delmar, I mean, not Delmar, Ronnie Smith and Susanna get into it and talk about the, the probably the more contemporary model of bird dog training, you know, and, it, and it's very, very cool. I like my dogs outside just because I feel like I've noticed a difference, but that is not the case with everybody. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of what that is. So those are my land Tony's on here. Good, good Lord. Good God. Boy, I tell you, I appreciate this. This end of the decade podcast. What's up, Lan? 
Land Tawny of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. That is the Land Tawny. If you are not a uh, member of BHA and you listen to my podcast and you listen to uh, Stephen Ranella's podcast, if you listen to Ronald Bames' podcast, like, there's a reason we all advocate for him. Um, so, Blue the Hunting Wine. Oh, boy. Alder Fort, English said it. Boy, Paul Cook. I, I appreciate it, guys. In the DVDs, do they use different breeds or do they film using any uh, in particular breeds? So in the Budmore DVDs, he only uses pointers. That's just what he he has. Um, the DVDs work for any, any pointing breed dog. Um, I would even challenge that statement by saying the DVDs work for any, uh, you know, any, any hunting bred dog, but speaking specifically about pointers, Bud's more, Bud Moore's content is primarily based around this really good dog that he has fast money, Molly. Um, and she is right now number one in the All-American Derby, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm actually very sure of that. I think it was the All-American Derby. He just went and won that this year um, with Molly, and she's just been racking up points. She's been on the board quite often, actually. Um, I hate quote numbers because I'm always off with that stuff, but if you are a subscriber to American Field, which I also think that you should be, you will see um, a couple of folks that I've interviewed. Number one, you will see AJ DeRosa is on here. Project, Mr. Project Upland. What's up, AJ? So if you guys are, uh, if you guys are subscribed to American Field, you will see a couple of people that I have interviewed. Number one, Bud Moore. He is at the top of my list. You will also see Tommy Rice, who has been up there in the winner's circle with, um, with, uh, with uh with bud aj man it's good to see y'all here man um guys if y'all are not i'm sorry i'm jumping around but i i love the support coming on guys if y'all are not hip enough y'all are 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 gonna be completely blind to the fact that there's a whole public grouse film coming out and aj you know feel free to send in a request if you want to come in and talk about public grouse however you want to do it but (laughs) <laughs> he said, I messed your rhyme up. No, you didn't. Um, so check out the public grouse film and stuff like that. That's coming out in February and it will be down here for my Georgia folks. It'll be down here in Thomasville on February 8th. It's going to be a funky day for me, but I'm going to try to make it to that premiere because uh, I will actually be running Vegas in his first field trial um, and his first horseback trial, matter of fact. So, you know, there. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, you know, my buddies, AJ, Paul, y'all send in requests if y'all want to join the live too. Don't, you know, don't feel like you can't. So those were the books that I, I've kind of stumbled my way through getting because all of my friends are on this podcast um, or are on this live feed. But um, I guess I just wanted to kind of show you guys 
what I use to work with Vegas. Um, I'm super proud of that dog, man. I am glad to say that before 2019 ended, I got the little buddy green broke. Like he is standing his birds. Um, and it took very, very, very minimal amounts of pressure. Um, you know, it was, it was almost like when I got my, my stuff taken out my truck and, um, I got all my supplies back from line country and, and, it was almost like it was just a, a pivotal moment. Like, I don't know why it's weird things like that, that kind of show up, but all of a sudden Vegas just started really standing his birds. And then, and so I went in a series, this, this last post that I did, um, you know, Vegas ended up going in a series of three. I, I was using, I used two pigeons three times and what ended up happening was Vegas ended. I was using a launcher. Y'all know I don't always use the launcher, but some, you know, a lot of the times it comes in handy. That's another one of the Mo Lindley things that comes in when you need it. Well, Vegas ended up, you know, going, pointing his bird or whatever like that. And that first time, that little joker kind of, you know, flinched a little bit like he, he kind of jumped like he wanted a break but he didn't good sign to me so what i ended up doing was launching that bird again um fired a blank pistol and nick one time with the e-collar that whatever that did is like and it was about the timing whatever that did right then and there um it just it, it just it rid all of my problems it just did and so the next time I ended up doing it, and this is probably over, I'm jumping around, so it's probably over the course of about two days. But there were three significant times that I remember, and one of those was that flush, fire, nick. And I mean, the nick came immediately after the um, the blank pistol, pistol firing. And it just, it's, it's almost like it just erased any kind of flinch out so I ended up flushing the bird again. Um, and this time I wanted to do it. You'll see me walk and I flushed the bird. I didn't I didn't like walk up to it and kick around like people normally expect you to do. No, I flushed it well ahead of me, but he was on point. Why? Because I want to get as close as possible to training a dog for a wild bird situation. Sometimes wild birds don't just let you get up there and get in and flush and things like that. I flushed it. Bird goes off, fired a gun. That bad boy would have, you would have thought I never fired it. Um, and that's what I was looking for. So I'm really proud of that dog for getting it now. We got to go out tomorrow to Die Lane Plantation. Um, I got a quota hunt uh, that I had been applying for for like last two, three years or something like that. And I finally got a chance to get drawn for it. So we'll be, it's, it's like a three hour drive out to Waynesboro. Um, and it's all wild birds, but it's a very famous plantation, um, and, and, and a field trial ground. And they open it up to hunters every so often throughout the year. Well, my goal tomorrow is to take the blank pistol and a couple of things, take the blank pistol, take, thank you, Sam, uh, take the blank pistol, take the, um, my 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 shotgun and take Ruger. OK, 
Okay. I'm going to just for the simple fact is like I'm I'm getting past the the idea of not running them together because I feel a whole lot better about it. Um, this is another thing Plody told me that I would enjoy running a flusher with a pointer together. Um, so when, uh, oh, Shannon Robinson, I will be hunting at Die Lane Plantation tomorrow um, for a quota hunt from the state. But um, I'm taking that blank pistol, the shotgun and Ruger. I'm going to split the day in half. When I get there, I'm not going to let Ruger out the kennel. I'm just going to run Vegas. Um, Just going to run Vegas and let him find and point birds. Um, I'm not really that focused on shooting. Reason being, I want to uh, just Georgia is the state. Um, reason being is I am more concerned with getting Vegas to a point where he's not only broke at home in the yard and, you know, and in, in, in our training grounds, whether it be here or up the street where I go, but also I want Vegas to um, be broke on those wild birds. So what I don't want to do is go in there with, with, with blood on my mind and get to shooting birds and I mess up whatever progress we've already made. You know, I could get out there and right now in that dog's head, he knows, you know, go point birds and hold them. Um, we'll run them with the flank collar still. And I'm, I'm, I don't even think I'm going to take that collar off his flank. I really like what that does when I do actually have to use it. Um, but I just want to make sure that dog knows to stay broke all the time. Um, yes, Plody, the pinch collar is always with me. I didn't mention it, but yeah, the pinch collar is always there with me. Um, championships at Die Lane, of course, I'm going to be doing that. And Sam says, is the bird not the reward? To me, no, the bird is not the reward. Um and this is something that I, I talk to Bud about often, but I am of the mindset that the dog and the reward or the high, if you want to call it that, the high is the is the dog actually being on point. Um, and this is what happens when you have friends with that are super into science and, and, and all of that stuff inside the dog. Bud is big into the science and the chemistry of the dog. And he, he said something to me that actually really resonated to me. And I've, I've seen evidence of it in my own dog. But when, they, when a dog goes on point, I'm of the mindset that there is a chemical reaction happens and, it, and, and they get, they basically get off to smelling the bird, getting a nose full of scent and just being there locked up. I, I I would almost challenge and I'm not a scientist, but I just I'm trying to piece things together in my head. And these are just things I think about when I'm walking around. <sighs> pardon the crassness is and I need y'all to pardon me on where I'm going with this. So just hang in there with me. I'll try to word it as best as possible. But when when a dude sees something, sees a, a, a lady that he like, you know what happened? 
you know, you, you get yourself up and going and stuff like that. I would imagine that the dog's tail is very similar to that. And that dog gets a high. Yeah. Release the dopamine. There you go. I did not know what that was, Blair, but the dog gets a high off of smelling that scent. It's almost it's almost like being being turned on, but not quite the same thing. And so if you do that enough and, and Jordan Wells, another episode that I had that Josh go listen to, he talks about this because he doesn't let his dog re- retrieve anyway. But once the dog gets used to getting that high and never gets the, the, the actual bird in its mouth, I'm of the mindset that it doesn't matter if the bird gets it in his mouth. The dog wants to run and find a bird and go on point. That is all. Um, now, there's another school of thought where, yes, bird in his mouth is the reward. Um, <laughs> you're edging the dog. Um, now, this is my, my other school of thought. With a retriever like I have. I am of the other mindset where the retriever being that he is a Labrador retriever, he gets something and brings it back to you. That right there is the reward. And that is how I trained him based on wild rose training methods. Um, when I first got him, and it worked. Um, I also did not train that dog on an e-collar. Um, that was a, it was a different time. I was a different place in my life. And to this day, I, still don't really use an e-collar on Ruger. Um, I wouldn't be against it now, but I just got no reason to. But Ruger cooperates when he knows he's going to get the retrieve. So it, it's I'm, I'm operating on a couple of different schools of thought based on the breed of the dog. Um, Sam Baker, I think it's the whole process. Point, flush, and seeing it dead. My working dogs get so frustrated if people can't kill them retrieving or not. Yeah, <laughs> I think that dogs get frustrated at not being killed. Depend if the dog has had the retrieve. Vegas don't too much care about retrieving. When we went out guiding, um, and I'll get into this more, but when we went out guiding, the guide dog, when I did put Vegas on the ground, the 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 other two dogs, the other two pointers that were there, they knew what the drill was point shoot retrieve bring it back and then go on whereas my dog vegas and it wasn't anything that i said to him um vegas you know run point let them shoot and he was off to the next bird um and that is just what it is now aj you make a good point but i'm gonna go to shannon robinson why not retrieve? I have a 16-week-old German short hair that can point, shoot, and retrieve. And that's dope. My dog can retrieve too. That's awesome. Vegas can retrieve. It's not about it's not about being able to retrieve or not being able to. It's what you expect. I'm training for field trials. I do not want my dog will never retrieve anything in field trials. And I want him broke on pen raised birds. I want him broke. On wild birds, I want him broke in training. I want him broke in trials. 
it does not matter. I, I and, and again, the school of thought that I am coming from, the people that I've learned from. So AJ also, uh, <laughs> AJ also makes a, a very good point. He says, I, I think it's important to say plenty of breeds are different. Like you were saying, a retriever is far different mechanics than a pointer. The diversity and versatile breeds um, is worth a book on this topic. And it is. That is why versatile breeds are just that versatile dogs. I do not have a versatile dog as versatile as it gets to me is having multiple dogs for different jobs. Um, for me, and, and I, I'm also big in the culture and tradition too. Um, to answer that question, what type of field trial do you run SKC or America? I'm trying to run um, American field. They said AKC, but I'm running American field, but especially for American field trials, you're not going that the dogs are not going to retrieve at all. It's based on style. It's based on range. It's based on a number of different things that have nothing to do with retrieving. I also think about the history of versatile breeds. Those dogs were bred for totally different things than what our, what would be considered the modern pointer or the American pointer, um, you know, we're, we're bred for here, especially down where I hunt at. And a lot of the times in plantation country, you got flushing and retrieving dogs for that job. And you got pointing dogs that they are just specialists for that particular job. I always tell people, you know, we, we, I've hunted Vegas on grouse and stuff like that. Or one time hunted them on grouse, um, where we actually found one and he will go and I hope to travel with him in a, in a, in a bunch of different places, but fundamentally, fundamentally Vegas is a quail dog. That is what I cut his teeth on. Like he is a wild quail dog. Um, you know, even when we were gotten, he still ran that course as if the birds were wild and they weren't near as far away as wild birds would be. Um, Darrell, has Vegas had any more contact with woodcocks this season? No, we have not. Um, I have not gone back out to hunt woodcock. My goal is to get out there with Lauren Gwynn, prefer trying to get out there in January if I can make the time for it, but Palmetto Moon Pointers. Um, go follow her. I'm trying to get out there with her and Mo and things like that. So not yet. Um, but that's another thing. That's another good point. You have dogs that are are, are specialists in whatever area. Um, you you have dogs that are specialists in that that particular area. Now, it just fundamentally comes down to what you want. I also got a little bit of guilt because I'd be feeling bad about not taking Ruger out of the truck. So, <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> AJ says they 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 missed a woodcock up north. Yeah, they down here now. Um, let's see, Alden Cheshire. Cheshire, I know some American field guys will force fetch dogs mainly to get in their heads. Opinion. I don't use force fetch. I just don't. Um, 
I not interested in learning how to do it. I'm not against it, but I believe if a dog is going to fetch, the dog is going to fetch. If he's not going to fetch, he's not going to vet my dog. Both of them. I never had to force fetch them. They will fetch Vegas knows to go fetch. That was something we worked on when he was a pup, but that was not forced. It was just, or, or other people might call it a trained retrieve, whatever you want to call it. But I, I just capitalize on a dog's, you know, will to want to go and pick up sticks and just encourage them to bring it back to me. Um, there are 50 million different ways to get in a dog's head. The way I get in a dog's head is putting them on top of a barrel. That seems to work for me. He enjoys doing it. And I like the way he looks up there. There's that bond and that chemistry that goes on between me and my dog. Also, when a dog is off their feet, you're getting into the dog's head. If you put them on a wool rail, if you put them on a barrel, it, it, it's at the end of the day, those two techniques are very light on the pressure, make the dog feel good. And I don't have to make them get into the dog's head. I think force fetch is probably better for the, the Nastra guys you know, to shoot the retrieve guys, um, retriever guys, especially the retriever hunt test guys or retriever field trial guys. Um, but I don't believe in putting any more pressure on my dog than what's necessary. You know, that's just not it. Now, if I didn't have a retriever that naturally retrieves and he, and, and like I said, I get dogs that do, I just don't capitalize on it with Vegas. He will, um, and I had Ruger. I did not force him to do anything. He just did it. Um, it's kind of weird. Like I'm of the mindset. If you get a retriever to, if you got to force a retriever to pick something up, that's a little bit of a problem to me. Now take somebody like my buddy, Bob Owens from Lone Duck. The force retrieve, the trained retrieve is very necessary for the level of work that he's doing. My retrieves, without forcing a dog to do it, my retrieves are nowhere near as clean as his dog's retrieves. That's the also that's also the catch. Ruger, my lab, is not a hunt test dog. He's just straight gun dog. Like that's that's all we do. I just need you to bring it back to me and not have it mauled up. You know, if you drop it one time, bring it on back to me. Um as I've learned as far as like guiding and the more I get into it, most of them clients don't care either. They don't care how clean the retrieve is. They just want to see two bird dogs on point and a flushing like a cocker or a lab go in, get them birds up, shoot them, bring them on back. Um, so I know I kind of went in a roundabout way, but I think there are other ways to get into a dog's head other than, a, 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 a force fetch or a train to retrieve. Um, let's see. Most people don't like the e-collar. Shannon Robinson says most people don't like the e-collar. I like them. It's like being right there in the on the dog's shoulder, letting them know what they're doing wrong, right? If they're out there away, you can't correct them. Yes, that is correct. I totally agree. Um, with the e-collar, though, 
and, and Paul and I talk about this all the time, and I cannot remember the the the, the Instagram profile of trainers that don't use collars on their pointers. As, as big as I would love for my pointers to run, that joker would never be 350-something yards out away from me without an e-collar on. I just don't want to operate like that. Um, so, yeah, that is what that is. He's awesome with retrieving and teaching you what to do. He's an awesome person. I will take that into note. Shannon Robinson, that's a trainer in Kentucky. Gasper River Kennels. Um, Shannon Robinson, can you uh, shoot me a DM on that trainer? I would just love to meet him. Floaty says, Force Fetch is a wonderful tool for more than just fetching. That is true. Um, I don't know, man. Like, the Force Fetch thing is, it's not really controversial. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to do it. Um, and what it is being used for um, on the topic of fetching any advice on a hard mouth dog uh, I've never had that problem before um, at that point and then from the trainers that I've spoke to Plody you can interject on that one too it, it sounds like you need to go back to the basics. This is just me summarizing everything that I've, I've seen and heard. You got to take that dog back to the training table and basically unteach it and, and or unlearn it and then reteach what it is that you're looking for. That in the case is where you have a force fetch situation. Um, Some dogs hold it against you when you force fetch them. Land says the only thing I'm looking at force fetch for is hard mouth. I heard it's a solution. Holes and breasts is getting old, but I also heard they grow out of it. Um, some pups do. So some dogs might grow out of it. You're gonna have some dogs that are going to eat birds and they grow out of that too. Um you also have dogs that just don't that they just don't learn their lesson. Um, and then some of it is genetic too. You see it more on retrievers, but a lot of the times you'll get a dog that if his parents were hard mouth, it's very likely. And if it can't be corrected out of it, it's very likely that that dog will pass that on down. Um, let's see. Tommy Rice is on here. Let's see. Tommy Wright says exactly each individual dog has its strengths. I kill birds for my field trial dogs. Some eat the birds, some smell it and run to the next. Yes. Um, I've actually heard quite a few stories of a lot of trainers that will do. A, they, they, they just gotten dogs, field trial dogs that will just they keep eating birds and then they just get tired of it. They just don't do it anymore. Um, none of my dogs have done that. I've had one, my lab, when he was young, he rolled it around in his mouth a couple of times. I've had one questionable bird from my lab. I don't know if I had shot it and mauled it anyway, 
I know I hit it pretty hard, but then I don't know if it was a matter or whatever, but I got that bird back and it, it wasn't too pretty. That was the only situation where I have had a situation with a dog with, with as Lance said, holes in the breast or things like that. Um, Tommy, I would love to hear your thoughts on force fetching. I'll repeat it if you type it. Um, and congratulations this season, man. Like you, you and uh, I mentioned you earlier. If you didn't hear, but you and Bud have been killing the game in American Field. Um, Blue the Hunting Wyme says, "What made you go with the English Pointer versus any other pointing breed? Tradition? Question mark. Um, number one, I just think pointers are just better dogs." Um, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm just being, I'm being silly, but part of it came from me seeing Neil Carter's dog, Neil Carter and Curtis's dogs, um, in that garden and gun magazine so long ago. And I just, it just made me want to be like those guys. And then when you see a pointer moving, um, when you see a pointer moving, when you see him work, is such specific, like, just, it's, it's tight work, man. They just, they're beautiful dogs. Um, down here in the South, it is a bit of tradition, but I mean, I could say the same thing. I mean, we run setters down here too. Um, but the guys that have really made the biggest impact on me have had pointers. Um, I admittedly thought as much as I talk trash about short hairs, I admittedly thought to, get a short hair i'm glad i didn't no shade i i'm i just like pointers better um i also wanted a dog that was a bit more of a specialist in that area um and i wanted a white dog i wanted a white dog with a long tail um and i had seen a dog from the kennel that i bought vegas from um from Gary Surratt up in, up in Tennessee, Pine Hill Kennels. I had seen a dog from that kennel, a couple of dogs from that kennel, matter of fact, run before, and I really liked it. So it's just a lot of different reasons. But to me, pointers and setters are kind of, they go back to like the original bird dogs. And I just I just think they're beautiful when they uh, work. Um, let's see. AJ says all dogs will respond differently. It's important to remember we always need to adapt to the personality of your dog. I agree with that. Um, we always ran e-collars on our GSP because here in Pennsylvania, there are roads everywhere and wouldn't take much for a dog to get hit. Just like they said, it's like being by their side, of course. Um, force fetch fixes hard mouth. I appreciate all the uh, this stuff. Plody says, Darrell, next time you head up with Mo, hang out with Mo, have him show you how we do the force fetch his way. That is not the first time I um I heard that. I think I was talking to Lauren when we were uh talking about that. Or maybe it was you. It might have been. I can't it was we I've heard about Mo Lindley's force fetch methods. Um I do want to see that. Because the way that I've always seen it, I've seen the toe hitch, I've seen the ear pinch, um, all of which I'm not really interested in doing, but there's always better ways. Um, 
Let's see. There is a there is puppy hard mouth that some will grow out of, and there is true hard mouth that birds are destroyed. And in that case, I would force fetch them. All right. I've seen videos. Freddie King's ear pinch and toe hitch. Um. Let's see what draws you to pointers over flushing breeds. Um. Oh, Blair, you are so shade. Um, J82126 asks what draws you over or draws you to pointers over flesh and breeds. I don't have a problem with flesh and breeds. I actually want a cocker. Um, they're cool. I just like pointers. I just, I just do. Um, every pointer, like, English and American point. Everyone I've seen has just been beautiful. Um, I'll probably, the more I get into guiding, if this becomes a thing and my wife lets me get this other dog from down there at South, uh, Southwind, um, the more I get into guiding, I'm going to need a flushing dog anyway. Um, Ruger's a great dog, but just down the line, I probably want to get a cocker, but I don't have a, a necessarily a preference when it comes to pointers or flushers or two different types of dogs. Um, Tommy Rice says, I don't train force fetch because I need to have dogs because I need to have dogs fetch. For me, it can be a process that can take too much out of a dog if they were soft in the first place. It may be great for dogs with an alpha mind. Um, yes, Paul, Paul, we got a lot of trips together, buddy, between Mo and I got to introduce you to Neil down here. Um, Shannon Robinson asks, where do I guide? I wouldn't necessarily say I am a guide. I did it one time and the, the clients were impressed with my dog, but I am starting that track at uh, Burge Plantation here in Newton County, um, not too far, about an hour away from where I'm at now. Um, I want to go out there. I'm going to be using my dog, both of my dogs, Ruger and Vegas. And uh, I'm going to see about using one of their other dog, one of two of their other dogs that they have that I really liked last time I saw. Um is there a difference between English and American pointers similar to the difference between American and English labs? Yes, there are. Um, number one, tail set. I mean, that's kind of one of those things. Um, American pointers just bred for way different kinds of utility. Um, I'm actually writing a good bit on this for, uh, for an article later on down the road, but... American pointers and by American, like your what you see, you know, guys like me, guys out here in the South, things like that. They were bred differently for the trials that we have here in America. Um, English pointers were not as big a ranging way, way, way back then, back when. Um they seem to be a little softer. I don't really know how, you know, not really sure how that works, but they seem to be a little bit softer of a dog. Um, yes, they do. They were bred for horseback trials. 
But they were also doing horseback stuff in England, too. Um, that's kind of something that's been carried on over here. Um, I just think that the pointers of today were bred to handle the terrain and cover that fits for America. Um, a lot of those dogs were brought down here to the South. Um, you know, they were rent run on plantations and they were also dogs. When it came to field trials, setters were the original top winners in field trials. You can go way, 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 way back. Um, and the pointer guys kept just manipulating them and manipulating them. Um, oh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, blew the hunting wine. But um, the American pointers were bred basically to operate to beat the setters, really. I mean, the setters were winning. Um, so without getting into a long, long thing, a whole long thing. And I want to show y'all something else too. This is a book. If you're interested in pointer history, the modern pointer, um, it talks about a lot of that stuff. And then, uh, uh this here, AF Hotswalt, um, bird dogs, their history and achievements. It talks about all of that stuff, but basically the pointers were bred to win trials over here, um, which means they're a bit bigger running They're They were not as big a boned. Also, their bone structure was different. So, yeah, I'm just trying to think of everything off the top of my head. Live feed more often. Love to just take in all questions. It's cool to see everyone's different opinions on training aspects. Yes, it is. That's why we have the community. Um, have you run Vegas with another pointer? Does he back? Yes, I ran Vegas with two other pointers. Um, last time I was at Burge Plantation and he had three opportunities to back, two of which were natural backs. One of them, um, he just didn't. He just he got a little selfish on me. Um, so I want to work with him more on it, and I'll have that opportunity coming in January. But he gave me two out of three natural backs. I'll take it. Um, and by natural, I mean, I didn't use any kind of e-collar or anything like that. He just stopped. Um, so it was based on what genetic traits they wanted to see more of. For pointers, range. Seems like range. Um, I think the drive was there. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't get a bird dog without drive. Um, it just seems like they wanted a bigger running dog. Um the pointers that were there, they were not able to carry that kind of range or speed. Um, they also somehow, and I hadn't gotten quite to it yet, but they bred those dogs tails to stand. Um, a lot of it is for the stylistic purposes and a lot of it is just for the visuals. Um, let's see. Oops. Hang on. I went way too far down. Um, How do I get my pooch to hold point longer? He's great in the yard, but excitement of birds can get him off point. Well, I use a barrel. That goes back to barrel training from Bud Moore. Um, there's a couple of things. I use a barrel and, and 50 million different ways to do it, guys. Um, 
And there are trainers on this exact feed that can tell you that'll probably tell you so many different ways. I know for a fact, Clody will tell you something totally different. Um, Tommy Rice will likely tell you something different. Maybe so. But the way that I did it to get my dog to hold point longer was a couple of different things. Number one, I started barrel work with him very, very early. I used um, a short and tall pigeon pole. If you get the Farrell Miller video, you'll see what I mean by the short pigeon pole, but it's probably like a four or five foot pole um, with a pigeon tethered to the end. And every time he would lunge at the bird, I just, you know, let him sit there. Um, my time is also running out, guys. So bear with me. I'll log back in um, once it goes out. But also I use a tall pigeon pole and let the bird flush around. And then I also, once he started looking good there, to sum it all up, to bring it there, I put my dog on wild birds down in Thomasville. Um, there are friends of mine that have, that have invited me to certain places to hunt with them. And I've just searched around Georgia for wild birds. And I've kind of locked on to, you know, where they are. Um, and that's all around the state of Georgia and you know different places but wild birds fundamentally will get him to break himself if that makes sense um i did all the yard work and it was great it was definitely great but you know it was something that when he was on birds they fleshed off um tommy rice says more birds i mean Birds, 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 birds. And I've come to realize that the more to, to piggyback off of what Tommy says. It's just exposure. I mean, the more they flush, a dog will start to tighten up. Um, there's I'm a big proponent of yard work um, because I can't go out to Canada all the time to work. And if I could, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. I wouldn't have all the tools I'd be using. A, I, I just run that dog on prairie birds. But because I can't, I'm down here. Um, he just needs contacts, as many as you can get, and as close to wild as possible. I use a recall pen. I have one set up in my backyard. So that got him going at a very young age. Um, let's see. There we go. We got some some folks back on on the uh, on the Instagram live. In the meantime, let me check my Facebook. Um, if the dog realizes he can't catch the bird, will it slow down and hold point? Birds, birds, birds. Yes, if the dog. It will slow down. Yes, that will. Um. What do you recommend on training? Um, it depends on what you're training. Um, if you can send me that a little bit more specific. So to piggyback off of what Tommy Rice, um, Plody, Paul Cook were all saying. 
the thing that's going to steady your dog up the most is bird exposure. I can give you 50 million different book references and things like that. But at the end of the day, all of these, all of these training methods have to do with a whole lot of bird exposure. Um, Mark Wren to piggyback off of what you were saying for pheasant hunting. Um, I mean, I would train if you want a pheasant hunting dog, um, depending on the breed, like a lab is obvious or a retrieving breed is going to hunt different hunt pheasants different than a pointer. Um, number one, I mean, you can always go to um, Delmar Smith's best way to train your gun dog. Um, training with Mo, you know, any of those books are going to work, but a pheasant is a running bird. So it's going to act different. So again, it just comes down to getting your dog um, out on, it comes down to getting your dog out on birds and getting more exposure. Um, how early is too early to introduce gunshot? My first flusher cocker is six months of age. She chases everything from mice, moles, voles, rabbits, and tries to chase flying birds. Um, when did I introduce Vegas and, and Ruger? I started introducing lightweight. I started introducing my dog, both of my dogs, when I felt like they were ready um, at about five months old. Um, I made sure they were chasing something and they didn't have and they were far enough away to where the gunshots weren't like an an issue. Um, So, I mean, six months is fine um, as long as they are occupied with, you know, what what they're trying to get a hold of. and You just keep doing it. Um, How do retriever breeds? hunt upland um you quarter so when i was using just a retriever when i had my lab um i don't let my lab quarter no more than maybe 40 yards i don't i don't really do that mark run no problem i don't let my my retriever hunt no more than maybe about 40 yards away from me you can use a check cord on them just so they know kind of where to get their range um, and then slowly start to release them. But you just want them to clear maybe an area like if you do a V, you know, a V and that's your your the area that you might shoot. I I don't let them get too far, no more than 40 yards ahead of me. And they should go left to right, just kind of a sweeping, you know, kind of deal. And then, of course, when you are hunting in in certain areas of cover just learn the objectives like if i don't know the area and there's not necessarily like kansas for example when i hunted in kansas um that wasn't necessarily familiar area for me and so he quartered a lot my my lab this first season he quartered a lot but now we don't really do that. I just find objective areas. If I'm hunting quail, I know how I, I kind of know the habitat that they're likely going to be in. And I will send him in to just basically flush out certain areas. But if it's wide open, you just want them to quarter side by side. Um, 
As a puppy, I would slap two pieces of two by four planks together while he ate every day. Once I brought out a gunfire, never faced him. I don't do that. That was Blue the Hunting Wine. I personally don't do that because I feel I'm scared of developing a bad habit. I've, I've heard that from other people, too. Um, I would rather the dog be outside, not occupied with eating or anything, but chasing a bird or or whatever it is that you want them to chase. Let them get far away enough and then fire it um, and then gradually close the distance. That's you know how I do it. Shannon Robinson, pheasant, we're born with a set of Nikes and luggage packed ready to move. Thank you, Tommy, for getting back on here. I appreciate it. When she chases, start clapping hands and work your way up to gunshot. Um, guys, I'm I would be careful about firing anything or clapping anything over a dog while they're eating. And I just I just imagine like if I'm sitting down at a table and somebody, you know, claps behind me or fire something behind me, I probably jump out of my my my, my soul and spine, too. Um, you know, also just to piggyback on the bird exposure and steadying your dog up, I like I really like the episode that I did with Tommy Rice on here. Um and Tommy, I I still owe you a, a trip to field trials. Matter of fact, I'm going down to Union Springs to talk to Raymond Jackson. I don't know if you know him, um, but I'm going down there in February. But um, so when it comes to bird work, you've got great trainers like Tommy who have the privilege of getting their dog on wild birds 24-7. Um, and that really makes the dog so much different. Um, and there was something that I wanted to kind of address. If y'all give me two seconds, I want to um, go and pull up a screenshot that I had. Uh, it was a screenshot that I had from a listener that I alright it was a screenshot that I had from a listener I cannot remember who it was that asked me but basically someone asked a very very good question in those things and I will give you the shout out toward in the credits and stuff like that but how do you get what's the most efficient and effective way of getting a dog on birds um, when you live in a city or a suburb and I think that's a very valid question. I live in Douglasville, Georgia, um, which is about 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. I'm born and raised here. And I'm not going to say it's not a struggle. I talk about Thomasville so much because the guys that I look up to and look forward to um, training with are all down there. Um, and so getting a dog exposed to birds um, getting a dog exposed to birds when you live like in a suburb or a city like I do, it comes with a price. You got to pay to play. Um, you are going to put in miles. You just are. And my wife is, uh, uh, you know, she took the Georgia bar. She passed and we are not moving out of this particular area anytime soon. So 
I have to supplement that. I'm also a teacher. I have to wake up every morning and every evening when I get off of work. Um, I have to wake up and, you know, be sure I have to wake up and be sure that I get the adequate amount of training in that I need for my dog. Um, that is working them in the morning, running them in the morning. Um, in the Whaley book, you know, and a Delmar book, I mean, they both say it, but if you can give your dog 15 to 20 minutes of work a couple times a day, you should be in the game, at least for starters. Um, so it's a lot of gas mileage that you're going to put on the road. You just are. You have to take opportunities to hook up with trainers when you can. Um, that's a big part of it. I mean, I, I, I've missed some really good opportunities to go out, you know, with trainers and, and learn from them. And I still want to. Um, Tommy being one of them, um, I was supposed to go hunt with with uh, Paul Cook in Kansas and some happened to my truck. You know, it's weird things that happen in, in life and it just kind of, but you have to follow up with these guys. And a big thing about it is, you know, getting that mentorship aspect, which I will talk about soon too. But also when it comes to exposing your dog to birds, if you can't do anything else by birds and read in that, Delmar book, he will tell you how to build what's called a bucket bird. If you've got a little bit of space behind your house, like I do, I've got like a wooded area where there's just nothing back there, but just woods and, and, you know, grass that's similar to how I would hunt. Um, I built a small little recall pen box and I got about 10 quail and back there, I just basically held them in the thing and and you can read about it, but basically I held quail in there for about a week and over time just gradually released them, you know, by twos. And then I had a bucket bird in the tree and there was this whole process that went on to get birds to recall to that area. Um, Delmar talks about not taking a bird, taking away the groceries. If you've got a feeding area for those birds back there. They're all, they'll always stay back there. So in the times that I could not get Vegas on wild birds, like, you know, I was talking about it earlier, the, the hunting season for a lot of people around the country started way before I could get back and get into the woods. So in the meantime, I used recall pin birds at the back end of my subdivision. Nobody goes back there anyway. Um, and those birds would covey up and hide and do all kinds of things like that as if they would in the wild after about two weeks of them birds living out there they they acting pretty wild and so i would just let vegas run out there and it took him probably four or five days to learn how to judge his distance and point those birds and one day it was just like magic he just locked up on the birds and 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 you know he went from there so in a subdivision, it is definitely possible. Again, I, I like to quote out of these books. Delmar talks about a guy living in New York. If you got, especially if you got a pigeon launcher, which I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm on and off with my launcher. I use it something when I need it. But if you've got a pigeon pen, you can keep, I keep about four birds um, that are homers though. 
and watch out for hawks because my birds get scooped up by hawks too. But if you keep a pigeon pen, I keep a quail pen for birds that I'm not planning on keeping. I keep a recall pen in the woods. Um, and I just put gas mileage on the ground. Like it, raising a bird dog, I don't want to sit here and act like it's not <laughs> a fairly expensive endeavor. It, it, and it's expensive because of the gas mileage. Realistically, you don't really need much to train a bird dog other than I'd say a check cord, a good pinch collar, good leather pinch collar, and spend your money on a good e-collar. And and there were guys back in the day that trained with without all of that stuff too. But I mean, if you're gonna do it today, not even just because they're my sponsor, but just because I fundamentally truly believe in the collar, get you a Garmin Pro 550 Plus. Get the Pro 550 Plus now. Hit up Plody or hit up Mo Lindley and go buy you that leather pinch collar and go to Lion Country Supply and get you that good custom um, check cord. Spend your money in gas. Spend your money uh, on, on, on birds. Don't let your dog eat your 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 pigeons like they shouldn't do that. Um, and everything else will kind of come. Um, it is a lot longer of a process. A lot of the guys that I talk to, they're they, they work on plantations. They train down in South Georgia. Their dogs, let me not lie, their dogs come out broke way faster than mine does my dog is 11 months and he is just now at the point where i would consider him green broke so it, it it's just different your your time is going to be spent uh in a different manner and it also just fundamentally depends on the dog you know um you get good genetics it doesn't matter what breed it is the dog should be smart enough to learn how to how to navigate you know birds and things like that um i missed a lot in that whole thing gun breaking blank pistol um let's see i appreciate all of the feedback coming from here guys uh Jim Mercantile, how can I teach my dog to run smaller as when hunting pines and thickets for woodcock without taking the drive out of him? I want him running bigger for quail, but hunting closer for woodcock. Um, similar situation as me. Um, first of all, you shouldn't have to worry about taking the drive out of a dog. Um if that is an issue, then we got a different kind of conversation going. Um, hunt that dog a lot. It all it, it still comes down to birds, birds, birds. Because um, especially with woodcock, it's not like you can just go buy woodcock and turn. And you start to get that, you know, mechanical dog. Run the dog on quail. Let him learn how to handle them. Run the dog on woodcock. Woodcock are funny birds for dogs. My dog has overrun. My dog has not pointed a woodcock yet, and we've been in contact with about four or five of them. Um, it just you just have to keep running them on them, and at some point, whether it be the dog flushing the woodcock or actually catching the scent, it's just gonna click. 
The dog will also learn how to adjust to the terrain. My dog got lost in a grouse woods the first time we went up to North Carolina and hunted grouse. The second time we did, he didn't get lost because he knew that we were we're in a different situation than what he's used to hunting, which is a quail woods. If I were to take him out west or, or up north to, you know, op- more open prairie, the dog can see you better. So he shouldn't have a problem with his range at that point in time. Um, gunshot, 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 gunshot. Thank y'all. Um, a pigeon launcher can make a lot of noise. Watch it. You can spook a dog. I do think you should introduce a pigeon launcher like you can introduce gunfire if you decide to use it. Um, be careful of it. Um, let's see. All right. So um, I, I don't want to spend a whole, whole, whole lot of time going down a rabbit hole. I do want to say um, thank y'all for those that filled out the mentorship uh, form and uh, the mentee form. That was really cool. Um, Paul and I are trying to basically put together a community of, or continue putting together a community of folks that are willing to teach and and, and folks that are willing to learn. Um, I think it's important that we be mindful of what social media does. Like social media is a great thing. We're all on it now. And that's what, and and we're all supposed to come together. You know, there are people in this particular episode um, and in this, 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 I guess, chat room, if you want to call it, that are answering questions and sharing information. That's what it's for. Um, But what has been beneficial for me, what has been beneficial for Paul and I know Plody and I know, um, you know, anybody that I've had on this podcast, I'm like 99.9% sure that these folks, myself included, have learned from somebody else that has had way more time spent in the game. Um, or is an expert in in some way, form, or fashion, or they have learned what they didn't like from that person. That's the other catch too. But the point of all of that mentorship form and stuff like that is to link people with other folks that may not feel like they have those people. You'll be surprised at who who's in your state, who's available, and things like that. Um, so I am going to, and, and y'all got to bear with me, guys. I got a baby and <laughs> it's holiday season. So I'm trying to let some of the, you know, let a few more people get signed up and things like that um, for the mentorship form. It's on my website, but I'm going to basically filter all of those emails and, and forms and stuff and basically organize it. And based and I'm going to try to go state by state. I'm going to try to get all 50 states in there if I can and line up the people that um, are in that area in your state. Now, the catch to it is, guys, and this is what I mean, just putting miles on the ground or miles on the road like. 
sometimes people are not going to be like right next to you, you know, and that that's okay. Um, so I will try to connect people um, via email and things like that. Um, it may take a second, but just, hey, look, this person wants to teach. This person is interested in learning. Y'all get together and, and share stories and information. It's not anything that I'm even interested in, like, payment for. Like, I'm not, I just don't think that we should always be doing stuff in the bird dog world or the upland world for money. Unless you are some professional field trialer and that's your livelihood, but also or a professional dog trainer that but also. Um, I also think we should be sharing good quality information. You know, everybody is an expert dog trainer on social media. But when it really comes down to brass tacks. Are you helping anyone? You know, this podcast for me in the last, was it been two and a half going on three years, I guess. This was my way of not only starting out, I was I was trying to teach myself, really. And if I'm being straight up, it sucks to try to learn how to train a dog by yourself. It just does. I will say I was fortunate enough and I guess I had half of mine to start with a lab they're just easier dogs to train I don't think that I would have properly trained my pointer if that were my first dog I probably would have gotten them well but I think a lab was a good start for me that was just my thing I came from the world of training pit bulls but and I was doing that blind but that's a different type of work so now with this mentorship thing I want to help encourage people to do it, to train dogs the right way. You know, um, I want to keep setting up opportunities for people um, and just continue helping folks learn, man. Um, You know, it's always that funny statement when you ever met a black, black, black person that's going to tell you all the secrets. It's kind of (laughs) true. It's, it's kind of true. Um, you know, we I went down to down to Thomasville. I was training with Neil and, and Curtis and running Vegas. And uh, they thought it was so funny that I, 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 I had pulled Vegas out and he started, you know, doing a little something, something here and there. And, uh, you know, we just got a look, got the trash talking and they were saying I was holding back or something like that. And I, and I like messing around with those guys and they like messing with me. But there are some things that some trainers are just not going to tell you until you meet them, until you get close with them. And there are some things that folks will be open, you know, will open up the world to. It really comes down to that person. And I think there is an awful lot of deference and respect that we have to have for everybody in the community. The new guys, um, old heads the 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 gurus on here like i've been blessed to be able to speak to bud moore and tommy rice they're top of the field trial game i would love to get luke eisenhardt on here you know because that is where i'm trying to get to as far as that type of proficiency with a dog i've been you know, fortunate to have, you know, Neil Carter not only on here, but a call away 
Bud and him are my go-tos. You know, Plody and, and Paul, like, and I keep talking about these guys because I'm, I'm hoping that I can share, that Paul and I can share that same uh, blessing with the rest of the community. I hear it a lot, man. Like, everybody in every you know, bird dog show magazine, blah, 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 blah. Everybody's talking about, you know, continuing the traditions and things like that. But what concrete initiative are we out there actually doing? Um, And I don't want to be, I want to do my part. You know, I want to make sure I do my part in spreading that wealth. You know, and, and you'll be surprised the friendships that you, you gain, from, you know, from all kinds of information like that. So, um, yes, yeah, Shannon Robinson, y'all check that post out that he just said for all the folks in Kentucky or northern Tennessee. Check out uh, Gasper River, Kent, River Kennels. He's taught me a lot about my dogs and has the birds and fields set up like the CRP field. See, there you go. That's what it is. And that's what we're looking for. Um, so. To kind of round all that up, because I have to, you know, start rounding this podcast up pretty soon. Um, You know, one of my major goals going into the new decade, 2020, um, and just for me to be a better, you know, aspiring dog man and and trainer um, is to help other people get to the level that they want to get to. Um. Let's see. I have a couple of more things that I had jotted down. Um, My goals for this podcast going forward, um, I am and maybe I'll have heard me allude to it, but I am actually trying to write a book. And that is something that is on my to do list. Um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to contribute to uh, Craig Koshik's next podcast. book on pointing dogs. He's doing pointers and setters. I'm not sure when that's going to come out, but I'm hoping that I can contribute the piece on African-American trainers, you know, down here in the South. Also, I'm like I said, I'm trying to write a book and there is no history on African-American bird dog trainers. There's no written history. All of it has been oral. And that's just kind of is is caused is 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 caused by a lot of different things. Like, you know, we all know that elephant in the room. But I think that there has been an awful lot of, you know, training expertise and information that is missed when we don't have that those trainers on file, you know, on document. Um, and I've been privileged enough to get to know a lot of them who are down here in the South or in the Midwest and things like that. Um, some of the people that I'm planning on covering, obviously, Neil Carter, um, Curtis Brooks. Um, I want to see about getting Joe Bush, you know, on the podcast. Um, Raymond Jackson out in Union Springs. Um, Philip Maley, who. I want to give a shout out to Philip because he actually just got out of the hospital from a pretty bad injury. 
Um, and I've been talking to him. He's a great dude. And, and I want to continue to hopefully lift his spirits. Um, but on my list of goals for the Gundog Notebook is to write a book on the African-American trainers. So, yeah, that's that's um, what's on my agenda. And also, and I mean, I'm going to say it again, I'm really hoping that I can that, you know, not even trying to be a jerk, but I'm really hoping that um, my wife and I have the means to bring in this one female pup that I want because I want to get her going and. I want to, you know, hopefully start my own line. If, you know, if Vegas turns out to be something and that female pup does too, I'm, that'll be the start to my guiding career. You know, um, here at this particular plantation, at Birds Plantation, the clients want to see two pointers and a flushing dog. I've got two thirds of that combination. And of course, I have another pointing dog um, at that plantation that I can use. But I'm I, I, I'm I'm real anal about it. But I do want my own dogs um, to say that I'm running them. So that's you know kind of on the list. I'm trying my hardest to get more and more field trial professionals on this podcast. Um, it's kind of a personal thing for me. Um, Paul and I talk about it a lot, but I often feel like it's missed. Um, I feel like it's it's an area that's not really acknowledged on all of the uh, all of the other podcasts. Um, and I love all the other podcasts. Don't get me wrong, but I just feel like it's an area that is missed. So that's something I want to bring in. Um I've had everybody that I've had folks that do NAVDA, um, had folks that do AKC hunt tests and things like that. But the field trial game and the American field field trial game, um, you know, is something that I thoroughly enjoy. You know, if you guys are not subscribers to American field, you know, for me, I am a paper copy kind of guy. You know, I just... That's just something I enjoy doing. I like paper in hand. Um, but also, I still like the DIY guys, you know, the the culture of Project Upland. And I'm so glad to be a part of Project Upland um, because AJ and Chet and Will Sensing and Jennifer Wabinski and Edgar Giske, like all of us that are here, the new writers, the guys have been here. Everybody is doing something to continue to push the culture. Um, <laughs> what is your PR in the 400 meter hurdles? Oh, you're going to put me on blast. Um, my PR was like a 52. It was like a 52. Um, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, that wasn't. I guess that was all right. My brother beat me out. He PR at 49. So, yeah. Um. Do you run in the youth to field trials? No, I do not. Um, just focusing on American field. Um, so thank you, Jim Martin Marcantella, on my, my, my PR for 400 meter hurdles. Um, it was rolling, but I wish that I could have got in that 40, 49 category, but 52 beat up, beat out a lot of people. <laughs> um, 
All right. So let's see. Um, another thing that I had noted, I'm a hat guy. I also want to make more hats for the gun dog notebook. That's kind of small, but I definitely want to do that too. So I have a whole like collection of hats that I get from people. Um, or get from places and I have stories like written all up under them, not under this one yet because I haven't done anything that I want to write under it yet, but, um, that's coming. And I want to just kind of re recap, you know, two things. And that would be the guiding at birds plantation in a North Carolina grouse trip. Um, and I'll do that, you know, fairly quickly, but, Guiding, I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. Um, I initially went out there to scout and just follow shadow um, a guy named David out there and just, you know, help him put out birds and things like that. They were liberated birds. Um, and clients come out and, you know, the dogs point. Now, it was interesting because I like I said, I initially had no intent on having Vegas on the ground. Well, Vegas sat in the back of the truck, acted like a stick of dynamite in a dog box, and I wanted to take him out and stretch his legs. Um, I had Ruger and Vegas with me. Ruger had done a tower shoot picking up pheasants for me earlier that day, so his day was over. Vegas, I just put him on the on the check cord and just kind of let him stretch his legs um, at about halfway through the hunt. Um and I was kind of noticing the dogs that they had on the ground and they were good dogs. They were very good dogs. Um, but I, I, I guess I thought that their dogs were going to have to be steady all the way through, um, the shot. Like, I mean, just standing there rock solid, but they let the dogs, um, they let the dogs, you know, break after the shot, which was fine. Again, his preference. Well, that was my hesitation when it came to that. I wasn't necessarily sure what Vegas was going to have to be able to do. Well, the good thing is he was already there. So um, David asked me, he was like, you know, you sure you don't want to put the dog on the ground? Well, you know, you asked me two or three times. I'm going to take you up on your offer. And I and by this point in time, I knew so I put Vegas on the ground. They, I, you know, told him to go ahead and go on, go on along. Um, I put D collar on his flank, stuff like that. Tapped him. That joker was off the rolling. Um, he ended up. The there was a bird pointed, right, <laughs> not too far, and I think he came out too amped up. So he ended up getting too close to the bird. He pointed, but it got too close to it and it flushed off. But hit, the other dogs were pointing anyway. So, of course, they shot it and kept it going. Now, I think that got Vegas' head in the game because he went. Now, he was handling way wider and bigger running than the, the dogs from that particular property um, just because those dogs knew the area. So, Vegas, <laughs> funny enough, was pointing birds 50, 60, 70-something yards over that way and their dogs were pointing all the birds that were a little bit closer here. The good thing is Vegas was holding birds long enough for us to get there and things like that. Um, he didn't, he didn't break. Um, he didn't break at all. Matter of fact, he held, he looked good. Um, he looked very confident. 
the biggest difference was I could I could tell personally that he was used to hunting wild birds versus preserve or pen raised birds. And that's it just happens. The dogs look different. Um, he was also unfamiliar with the territory. So it took some some getting used to the the range thing that we had going on. Now, the good thing is there were uh, there were three other dogs on the ground, two other pointers and a cocker. So I think he kind of got the hint to stay closer based on the other two dogs. Um, and so all of that rounded itself out within the first maybe 10, 15 minutes of, of walking and things like that. But again, Vegas pointed his a whole lot of birds. Matter of fact, um, I had one scenario where I had three opportunities to back. Like I said earlier, the one that he did not back, he pointed it, but ran in front of the dogs that were on point and then stopped. Um, that was more of him catching a scent versus anything else. Everything after that, um, he messed around and he would see other dogs on point. And at one point I got a photo of it. It looked real nice. Vegas ended up backing a dog about 30, you know, 30, 40 feet away. He saw that dog, saw the older dog on point and just stopped, stood locked up. It was great. Um, and I was able to just kind of put my hand up, tell him, whoa. And, uh, they were able to flush shooting and we kept it going. Um, one thing that I enjoyed that I was particularly proud of for him again, I don't want him retrieving. So when, when the shot was done, he let the other dogs go pick up birds. Vegas was off to another, you know, off to the next other bird, which was great. (laughs) Um, it was actually really good. So, he managed himself quite well, well enough for me to get tipped at the end of the day. Um, how much does it cost for you to take your dog out in Georgia on pen raised birds? Doesn't cost me anything but the cost of birds. Um, if you are hunting plantations, you are spending a great deal of money um, because these plantations, a lot of the times, are much more private and the ones that are not private, but a little bit more open to the public. Um, you're still paying a few hundred dollars, if not a few thousand at the end of it all to hunt those hunt that property. Um, I've been blessed to be invited back. So I just basically have to go there. You know, if I want to set birds out, cool, great. Or I can hunt whatever birds are just hanging around on that property. Um, so it didn't cost me anything. And what other thing that I want did I want to say about the guiding? Um, I think that was it. I mean, it wasn't the longest thing in the world. I've noticed traits with my dog. He's not familiar with Chucker, but he did stop when there were Chucker, um, you know, sat down and, and he looked a little nervous. But he did stop and point them, which was great. Um, I think they threw the chucker in there just to spice it up a little bit. Um, So I'm definitely interested in looking forward to doing it more often. Clients asked me to definitely, you know, they they told me they were looking forward to seeing me back out there. They were regulars of the place. So it was cool. Um, So now as far as grouse hunting, that was different. There was another listener that asked me, um, 
and I'm sorry I cannot remember who who posted this in my little Instagram story, but again, credits and stuff will be shouted out. But another listener asked me what was it like taking an inexperienced dog on grouse. <laughs> Tommy, you already know what time it is, buddy. Tommy said, make that money. <laughs> but um what was I saying? Grouse dog. So what was it like taking a dog that's inexperienced on grouse out into, you know, in that situation? Um, it was tough. And I, I definitely gained a whole new respect for grouse hunters. I still pride myself on being a quail man that just, I like quail. Um, I like that they hold for birds and I like not falling up a mountain <laughs> okay when you fall up a mountain that's a problem for me but um no it was fun man um we were doing that so i went out twice and we were shooting this the first time was for the public grouse film for project upland um it was fun it was definitely fun um we hunted a couple of areas i hunted with uh tyler ross mike nadusky and will sensing was filming mike's dog is a grouse dog um it's a grouse and woodcock dog. They operate. He had a wire hair. They operate totally different. And you can tell that his dog, even the range alone, was a lot different. Vegas shot out like a bat out of hell. Um, <laughs> Vegas got out there and didn't know what time the party started. But um, it was good for all of the bad that happened with my dog. We got out there immediately we hadn't been on i hadn't had vegas and 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 we hadn't put the wire on the ground two minutes and vegas ended up going and knocking a woodcock it wasn't woodcock season anyway but he just didn't know um we hunted certain areas and it's just something that he is going to have to get used to um exposure 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 birds 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 they will figure it out with grouse the first time I wasn't there, but it was kind of like ghosts. Um, Mike says that he heard a grouse, a grouse flush at the end of the trip. I mean, he was in this one particular area. I had gotten my butt kicked on the mountain. So he opted about going into the last set of uh, Aspens. And supposedly he said he heard a grouse flush. I was on the other end of the mountain. So I, I'm going to take his word for it. I, I, I you know, he, that's, he knows it better than I do. So, although I got my butt beat, um, I enjoyed the fact that Vegas got lost in those woods because it, it challenged him and I, him and me, to figure out how to communicate with each other in a different type of scenario. My voice echoes through the woods. That don't help a dog that's lost in the woods. Um, and so a lot of that, that's where that dog's intelligence comes in. Um, and I think somewhere in them woods, man, that dog lost his soul or something. It took a piece of his soul because he had not, he didn't range that far from me at all. And I, and the problem was I was looking on my Garmin uh, GPS and that's where the alpha comes in or the Astro comes in better than anything else. Uh, 
So I actually don't whistle to my dog, Shannon Robinson. I, I have a little singing call that I do. But again, the problem was the echo was there. Um, I wanted him to check for me and learn how to check for me in the grouse was in and learn to stay within a hundred yards, but really in that, in that type of scenario, probably within 75. Um, and that's much closer than I ever allow him to, uh, range. I mean, when we're down here hunting quail, I don't mind if he get out 300 something yards. Um, now, like I said, that was something that I enjoyed seeing because he had to put that type of scenario together himself. Um, and so the next time we got out there and that's when my stuff got stolen and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, although we did not have the garment and stuff and I made that little makeshift whistle, he recognized the situation we were in. It was very similar to the first time and he stayed well within range. Also, what's funny is you have two dogs that live with each other and know each other. I had Ruger with me this that second time. Ruger did a good job of I, I, I kind of let him do it every so often, but he did a good job at, at keeping Vegas and I connected. You know, Ruger was is, a, is an older dog. He, he just he's a lab. Labs are just great. But they, he, he put two and two together, realized that I needed to stay in contact with Vegas and he also needed to stay in contact with me. So somehow, some way they worked that out to where uh, I was able to keep track of all the dogs. The bell worked, the little makeshift bell thing out of the Red Bull can worked, it worked a little bit. It was, it was all right. Um, it worked for what it was going to do. Um, it wasn't ideal, but yeah, we hiked that whole time okay this is where i got a whole new respect for um for grouse but we hiked that whole time from the truck to the end of the logging road that i was at it was probably about let's see eight Let's see, 870-something yards from the truck to the end of the logging road and everything in in between that needed to be um, that needed to be cleared out. Well, we didn't find anything in between. What ended up happening was we get to the end of the logging road. The day is almost over and I'm like, all right, it's about three we need to be back to the truck by five. And so I decided I was going to check this one little area at the very end of the logging road. And the dogs are gone. Vegas is probably 30, 40 something yards up and available um, or up ahead of me. And by this point, I just let Ruger off my heel. I just told him just for whatever I reason, just go hunt, do whatever you're going to do. Like we we about to turn around anyway. The moment that I let that dog Move ahead of me. <laughs> the moment that I let him move ahead of me, I'm sitting there just dilly dallying and just kind of watching. And Lord, if my skin didn't jump off my bones, 
a damn rough grouse flushed right from my left side. I mean, it was very clear, very apparent. Scared the life out of me. Scared me so bad I couldn't even shoot. I mean, it was it was like it was the the the, the painting that's behind me. <laughs> it might have been that close to me. Okay, it was real close. And I just heard it get up out of the breath and just gone. It sounded like a drum or something like that. Um, so all in all, it was a good trip. My dogs did not get on any kind of contacts. They, to this day, still do not know what a grouse is, what it smells like. Um, you know, and I, I've, I've had a good buddy, uh, semi grouse feathers and Chris Veldekamp, um, I've had some more folks, man, like just really help me out with the grouse things. But I really think it's going to come down to that bird making contact with the dog and vice versa. Um, so I ended up flushing the grouse unintentionally and we need to get back out there. I have the spot logged on my Onyx maps and, uh, no, it was fun. I mean, it was fun. Um, it was a lot of hiking. North Carolina will whoop your tail. Um, a better grouse hunter is Noah Smith, who helped me out a ton. He kind of gave me some plenty of good direction on where to go. Um, he's young, young cat, and he's just on the on the money. So, all of that being said, guys, it has been a very fun year. Um, you know, it's been a, a fun last few years of recording podcasts, and I am excited at how far I've come with it. I'm also, um, I'm also excited at where it's going. I'm excited about my goals and things like that. And I'm excited that so many of you guys support my podcast as well. Um, there's a lot of trainers that I have a great deal of respect for that have not only been on here, but also um, that I've just met in the process. So I just really want to say thank you to everybody that's been on here, everybody that's supported, all the feedback, all the exchange of information, everything that goes on in the whole gun dog notebook, you know, circle and the listener page and things like that. Um, it's just really been an awesome time. So with all of that being said, guys, I want to close out the decade. This is the last episode of 2019. Um, I'm going to close out the decade um, saying a huge thank you and a happy holidays to all of you all out there. I hope your Christmas was great. Um, and going into 2020, man, like let's, I'm just asking, like, let's do a better job at reaching out and being a better and tighter knit community. Not that we weren't before, but it's always great to, to, to do more and to do better. And that's a challenge to myself, um, as well as to the general public. So thanks all of y'all again for listening to the gun dog notebook podcast. This is. This is your host, Darrell Smith, and I'm just really, really excited about it. Um, last comment, 
J81 82126. You've done a fantastic job bringing info forward to people and their dogs and the hunting community. Well, thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, I just really, really, really appreciate all of the support that y'all have given me. So, with that being said, I'm going to wrap up everything. Um, and hopefully, you know, in the next year or so or something like that you know y'all will see some more dog work out of me and things like that but i'm enjoying raising the dogs that i got now i want to say thanks to ruger who got me started in vegas who kept me going and and maybe sometime down the road you'll see another little pup we'll see we shall see sometime though all right guys i will catch y'all later happy new year And of course, I want to say thank you to my sponsors, all of them, everybody. Onyx Hunt, Yuganuba Sporting Dog, Lion Country Supply, Dakota 283 Kennels, Garmin, um, Project Upland and the Northwoods Collective. Guys, check out the public grouse film. Go buy your tickets uh, now from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers if you have not already bought them. Um, and guys, just stay tuned for more great things coming up in 2020. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed that podcast. It was long, I know, but uh, it was a little more, a little more casual than than normal. So, with that, guys, catch me next week on the Gun Dog Notebook podcast. This is your host, Darrell Smith, and uh, stay tuned.